All right, children, you guys are dismissed. Uh, children's Church and the rest of you, um, take out your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Um, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 mostly this morning. We may look at verses 3 and 4 a little bit more next week as I think it pertains to the rest of the passage. But um, I should say thank you. Um, just thanks to everyone who allowed us to be able to go on vacation. Um, we had a wonderful time um, while we were gone on vacation, and it was good to just get away. Sometimes it's good to just get away and rest and get perspective. One of the things that I found in, in ministry is that if, if you really want to take a vacation, and that's probably true in any job, you really got to take the full two weeks that they give you just right at the same time because it takes the first week to kind of get unraveled. And then it takes, and then you're already thinking about getting wound up again, and so then you kind of get this little period of time where it's just nice and, and, be, and peachy, and then you kind of start to think, man, i got to get back and get to work. Um, that's kind of how it goes. And, um, but I'm very thankful. Um, I'm thankful to Cindy. Um, thank you for, for leading worship while we were gone. I'm thankful to Drew. Debbie, thank Drew for me. Uh, I'm thankful to him for preaching, and I'm thankful to Ken for preaching. Um, and Randy, just making sure that the place is open and everyone's allowed to do what they need to do. And, and for everyone else who serves in the body, uh, thank you. For all those who did announcements and just did all those things, um, I'm thankful. I think it's really important maybe that to understand verses 2, 1 through 4 here, we have to go back. What I, what I believe is the key verse to all of Philippians, and that is this. We have to go back to Philippians 1.27. Paul shifts his thought and he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he's then going to kind of share and spell out what does it mean to, to live out this gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, then whether I come to you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you, and this is important, this is going to play in today's message, stand firm in one spirit contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. Think about what Adam and Mag Megan just shared and listen to this next statement. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted on you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same suffer, struggle that you saw that I had and now hear that I still had. Isn't that amazing? What the testimony that they just gave. It's a gift. We talked about that several weeks ago. It's a gift for us to suffer. And as a believers in Jesus Christ, who are standing as one man for the faith of the gospel, who are aggressively advancing the gospel in the culture, there will be persecution, there will be suffering. But it's good to know and it's good to hear you guys say that that's how the church grows, isn't it? It's when we're pressed down that, that God actually is doing his work. And we know that um, there may come a time where we find ourselves in a similar situation in our own culture. And sometimes it's difficult, I think it's difficult for me reading this to really connect and identify with what Paul's saying here. But to hear Adam and Megan and to realize that the world is so much bigger than than the United States, and that this stuff is happening in the world today. 
People are suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel. They're being persecuted. And so Paul starts from without, and he says, hey, there's going to be persecution. You're being persecuted right now. Um, and, and that can happen outside. The pressure that comes from the outside can happen. And now he's kind of going to move inside of the church. Because not only are they facing kind of suffering outside of the church, there's also some stuff that's happening inside of this fellowship that isn't, isn't wonderful. And so Paul is going to address these things. And he's going to spend a bit of time. We're going to look at four verses this morning. Um, and then we'll keep moving on. Um, but isn't it funny how outward, outward opposition can really influence and develop inward opposition? Um, have you ever experienced that? You know, if we, you've seen those epic movies, right? Where, let's take, for example, The Lord of the Rings. There's this, the, the fortress is being attacked, and, and all of a sudden the elves show up with their arrows, right? And they're like a, just a fine unit here. All the arrows are, I mean, if you look at that in the movie, all the arrows are pointed in one direction, right? Everyone is focused on these evil, ugly things that are attacking the fortress, which is the way that it should be, right? You, you remember that? You've seen that? And everyone's, everyone's striving together for one purpose, one goal, and that's to defeat the enemy. But sometimes what happens is, and what would happen if all of a sudden they turned on one another? All of a sudden the arrows are all pointing in, in different directions, and it would be chaos, Right? All of a sudden, arrows are pointing at each other, and we're firing at each other, and how are you going to win the battle or win the war if we're focused in inward on each other, fighting each other? Sometimes that happens, doesn't it? Sometimes it can happen in the body of Christ, not at crossroads, um, but it can happen. I've been a part of this, um, and I think the important thing here is that we're all striving in the same direction, pointed at the same enemy. And it's funny how, though, when there's pressure from without, it can create internal pressure, right? Think about this. Think about work stress, okay? How many of you have work stress? Oh, come on, be honest. Everyone has some stress at work, right? Maybe you've had that day where your boss at the office is saying, man, you need to get this done today. I need it on my desk by the end of the day. And you realize that there are not enough hours in the day to even accomplish the task that's, that's being given to you. What happens? You start to get worried, stressed. It starts to pile on. Pretty soon it can turn into anger. And then you get to the end of the day at 5 o'clock and you, you walk in the door of your house. And your wife says, and your wife comes and she says, all right, here's your kids. You know, I've been working with these kids all day long here you go. And you then are, you're a ball of emotion, you're a ball of anger, stress, and all that thing, and pretty soon, all of a sudden, there's like fighting that's happening amongst one another. Come on, don't, tell me you don't know what I'm talking about. Tell me this has never happened to you. And you realize that your enemy is not, it's not your kids. Your enemy is not your spouse. It's something totally different. And yet, this happens all the time. We turn in on each other. We begin to war against each other. And Paul is going to address this in this, this text. And he's going to tell us how we should live. How can we avoid these things? 
How do we avoid disunity, disharmony in the family? Now, he's talking about the family of Christ. I'm talking about the family of Christ here. I think you can talk about it as a family union, unit as well. And so as we listen to these words, think about how it affects your personal family, how it affects your church family, okay? Everybody with me? So here's what he says. He says, therefore, um, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I think that Paul begins in a beautiful way here in verse 1. Paul begins by talking about the resources, the spiritual resources for living in harmony with one another. And, and you have an incredible encourager in Jesus Christ. As Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, our fellowship with one another, the unity that we have with one another, this horizontal fellowship that we have with one another, it begins with a vertical fellowship that we have with God. And so Paul turns from outside, hey, this is the suffering, these are the things that are happening to you, I hear the same things happening to you. Many of you are probably facing prison right now, and it's causing some stress, it's causing anxiety within the church. And so he says, he reminds them of who they are and what they have. And in, in verse 1, there are four spiritual blessings that every believer in Jesus Christ possesses. You may possess them more at one time or another, but they are yours. They're yours to enjoy. God gave them to you. And so he says here, if you have any encouragement, he begins with this, this statement, if, and he doesn't mean like they don't have it. He's like, he's more, it's more like, hey, if your relationship with Jesus has any power to influence you, oh, and by the way, I know that it does, He's assuming that the relationship that they have with Christ is genuine, and it has the power to influence the relationships that they have with one another. You know that's true in your family? You know that's true with your friends? You know that's true in your workplace? And so he gives us four blessings. First of all, he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, this idea that we have encouragement that comes from Christ. The word there is paraklesis. It means someone who comes alongside of you. Encouragement is the courage to act because you're being inspired by this person. And Jesus, who better to inspire us than the Lord Jesus Christ? Who better to give you courage to live life than Jesus? There's encouragement that comes from Christ. We have the blessing, you have the blessing, church, of knowing Christ, being found in him, it says, in Christ. You've been given the gift of faith that he just talked about here in Philippians 1, verse 29. Is there anything that could possibly 
lift you more than knowing that you are in Christ. In the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of, of a stressful workplace, I want to encourage you, find encouragement in your relationship with Jesus. Connect to Jesus. That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, if you have any encouragement in, in being united with Christ, and I know that you do, we need Jesus to live the Christian life, brothers and sisters. We don't live isolated from him. And he goes on and he says, if there's any comfort from his love. <laughs> where else should we begin? Where does unity in the, in the body, where does unity in the family begin? It begins with Christ. It begins by being comforted from Christ's love. Have you ever been comforted by Christ's love? And I know that you have. There's, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you came to a point sometime in your life where you realized that I can't live this Christian life on my own. You came to a point in your life where you realized that you were a sinner and that you needed the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, every one of us has experienced or sensed or felt the love of God at one point in our lives. And it's not a one-time thing, church. It's something that we continue to experience. We continue to experience the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Over on vacation, um, there are times where I wake up in the middle of the night, 3.30, the weight of the world's on my shoulders. I'm thinking about all these things that I'm doing wrong, all these things that aren't going well. And, and then I'm just done sleeping. Can't sleep anymore. And that happened to me while I was on vacation. And I sit there stubbornly, and I just like, oh, I'm going to will myself to sleep, and I don't end up sleeping. And Karen finally, you know, she's like, you should probably get up and read and pray. And that's the spiritual thing to do. I just want to take care of this myself. Doesn't work. I woke up um, um, in the middle of the night, and I was like, I'm just going to go read. And you know what comforted me to be able to go back to sleep was the fact that God loves. This comfort that comes from God loves, it's all I needed to know. J Jason, I don't, I'm not really concerned about how well you perform or your performance or anything like that. I love you, and, and that's true for you. That's true for all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. God isn't so concerned about our performance. He comforts us with his love, with his grace. And it's that love that compels us to move into these horizontal relationships. It's, it's where in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, it says that Christ's love compels us. It's Christ's love that compels us to live in unity with our brothers and sisters in Jesus. You get it? All right, moving on. We need to keep moving here. He says, then, if any fellowship with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as believers in Jesus Christ, you enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit. The Greek word here translated is the idea of koinonia. 
It's the same word in Philippians chapter 1, verse, verse 5, where he says that because of your partnership in the gospel, that's what he's talking about here. You have fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit is what unites us together as brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that we can have, be of one mind in the things that he's going to command us to do is through the Holy Spirit. You can't do it apart from that because the Spirit is one mind. And by the way, Paul writes to you and he says as believers that, by the way, and you have the mind of Christ. And when we are walking in fellowship with the Holy Spirit... You're going to be walking in a, in a congregation that there's, there's some unity. Not uniformity, we'll talk about that in a minute, but there is unity that's happening in the body. And I believe that this is a body of Christ that walks in this fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I'm encouraged by that every time I think about this church. Adrian Rogers says it this way. He says, fellowship isn't coffee and donuts, right? It's not coffee and donuts, Fellowship isn't even some people who say there's two people, two fellows in the same ship. No. Fellowship is when two people are walking with the power of the Holy Spirit together, being united by Christ, being united by the Holy Spirit. Koinonia is something that's beautiful. It's, a, it's an intimate partnership. There's this commonality that we have as believers, that we have as a church. It's a joint participation. It's a mutual, active participation in the gospel. And that's what Paul's saying here. That we need to continue to keep our eyes focused, keep our arrows focused on the enemy. We do have an enemy. And we should be pointing arrows at the enemy. And that's why it's important that um, I want to call you to prayer. What, what, what can greater unite, what gives us greater fellowship with the Holy Spirit than two believers who will pray together? Three believers who pray together, or four believers, or five, or ten, or a hundred believers that would pray together. There's nothing greater than that. Think about it. Apply that to your marriage. Think about the fellowship of the Spirit within the marriage relationship. What's one of the most powerful things that we can do as couples when we have conflict? It's to come together and pray together. When you pray with your spouse, man, there's an intimacy in, that you see into the heart of that person. Especially if it's genuine prayer, there's genuine humility in the praying. There's not, nothing that's more powerful than that. Find a prayer partner. Find somebody that you're praying with. Come at 9 o'clock and pray on Sunday mornings. We're going to be in this, in this room. One of the things that we're working on that we started this week already is that all the work that goes into Sunday morning is going to be done by 9 o'clock. And we're here. We're praying for you. We spent time praying for you this morning. Come. Be a part of it. Come be a part of prayer. Monty's going to kind of take, a, take on the the prayer ministry, if you will, for our church and kind of become our prayer leader. Come, be a part of that. We're here at nine o'clock and we're ready to pray. And I think it's something beautiful that God wants to do in our fellowship. 
as we come together. Um, fourth, he says here that if there's any tenderness and compassion. So we not only share encouragement in Christ as believers, we not only share the comfort that comes from his love, and I pray that you're experiencing that, and that you're experiencing the fellowship that comes from the Holy Spirit, but we also have experienced affection and mercy. The NIV says tenderness and compassion. I really like the word mercy there. I think if we're going to be talking about unity, you've got to be talking about mercy. Because we all have our own ways of, of doing things. It's important that we have mercy with one another. And so he says, he says that we share this common experience of, of God's compassion. We've all experienced God's mercy. Those who are believers in Jesus Christ, you have experienced the mercy of God. We continue to experience the mercy of God every time that you fall on your knees and say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me for my vain conceit, for my sinful attitude, for my sinful and wicked heart right now. And by the way, this guy has to do that, man, all the time. Even yesterday, geez, I had to do plumbing yesterday. And um, there is nothing that will make a preacher swear more than plumbing. I, <laughs> seriously. My wife could tell you, and I am thankful for the mercy of God. Um, I am a flawed man, and I realize it every time that I do plumbing. <laughs> and I don't know how any plumber could be a Christian, but... <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe it actually drives them to be Christians because it drives them to their knees. I don't know how they could do it. Yeah, so... But I experienced again yesterday the mercy of God and my wife, um, who was with me plumbing. Um, and I think we're in fellowship again. <laughs> and unity. Yeah, it was not fun. Whew. Oh, and Tim, by the way, we did get it fixed. Yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on. But it's so important that we offer mercy to one another. This is a gift that God gives us. Every believer possesses it. And he's saying that all of these things in verse 1, being connected to the Lord Jesus Christ is what builds beautiful unity then in the horizontal relationships. If our vertical relationship with Christ, and we're enjoying these four pillars, if you will, these four blessings that come from that relationship, that will affect the horizontal relationships that we have with one another. And so he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. He's like, if you have these things, and I know that you do, if encouragement in Christ, if you have fellowship with the Spirit, if you have the comfort that comes from His love, if you've experienced affection and mercy, then make my joy complete. Be like-minded. Be one in fellowship. Why are you guys fighting with each other then? Paul's writing, and remember, he's a pastor. He is a pastor of the Philippian church. He is the founding pastor of that church. He is writing these folks from a pastor's heart. And I think there are many pastors in America who would write, who would write the same thing to their churches. Then make my joy complete. Give me joy in my heart. And know, church, that I have a lot of joy 
in my heart because of you, because of the, the unity that, that we experience in the fellowship. Think about it this way, maybe. Make my joy complete. <laughs> How many of you, if you have kids, right, what's some of the greatest, what's, what brings you the great joy in your heart when you have, if you have multiple children, what brings you great joy in your heart that just, man, just makes you smile? To see them laughing together, having fun together, enjoying each other, preferring the other person, thinking about the interests of other, the other person over themselves. Isn't it beauty? Maybe all of you have experienced that as a parent at one point or another in life, right? Where you're, you just walked in the room, you're like, whoa, the kids are playing together. Wow, this is amazing. Can we do this all the time? Can we always have this? They must have done their devotions this morning, or I don't know what happened. Right? It brings joy to our hearts. It brings joy. It brought joy to Paul's heart. It brings joy to a pastor's heart. It brings joy to your heart as a parent. It brings joy to your kids when they see your marriage and see you working together. And so he says then, he goes on and he says, make my joy complete. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. In other words, let your relationship with Christ fuel these things in you. Give you one mind. Now, now is Paul suggesting that there's uniformity here? Is he saying everyone has to look the same way? Does it mean that we all have to agree on everything in the body of Christ? Is that really what harmony is all about? Right. The answer is no. And there is a difference between unity and uniformity, right? Uniformity, it's gained by pressure from without. Think about it. Think about the word uniformity, putting on a uniform. You, we all dress alike. We all look alike. We all think alike. We all act alike. Now tell me, is, is that healthy? And is that even biblical? It's not, folks. It's not. God gives us different gifts. Unity is different. Unity is something that comes, being of one mind, one purpose, is something that comes deep within us. It's this inner desire that we have to conduct ourselves in a cooperative manner with others, to be on the same team, to go for the same objectives. Not everyone's the quarterback of the team, are they? but it's for the benefit of one another. There's a mutual benefit for others when we are of one mind, one purpose. And so in order to live with humility, we've got to stay focused on the purpose of our fellowship. He says there in the CSB, that, that word at the end of verse 2 there, purpose, it's being intent on one purpose. We have to constantly remind ourselves as the church where the battle lies, right? Paul's focus, his whole goal is to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. And guess what, church? That's our purpose as well. The whole goal of the church, what's the purpose of the church? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? To make Christ known. We need to make Christ known in the community. And when we are outward focused, 
and we are focused on our objectives, all arrows will be pointed at the enemy. It's when we begin to start thinking that, man, we know we could do this better or different, or we need to do this or that, or the color of the carpets. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore, but if the color of the carpet was a thing and all of a sudden we're pointed at each other now, all the arrows are pointed at each other. And we're of no use to God. There's no use to the kingdom of God because we're just fighting. In fact, we're a detriment to the kingdom of God because people are looking and they're watching and they're seeing what we do. I love, again, Adam and Megan, your testimony. What were they doing? They were looking for something wrong, and they could find nothing wrong. There was no fault in these folks. What are they going to do? Like, worship God and think, man, there's something different about these people. I think that's true in the church. The battle is for lost souls. Our purpose is to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, or vain conceit, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Man, that's tough to do. Hold loosely to our own wants, our own desires, the things that we want, to hold loosely to those things. Man, but I want it this way. I think it should be done this way. Donald Snoochian, uh, one of the guys that I'm reading, he says, there's harmony in the church when there's humility in the people. You see, selfish ambition is what I want. And vain conceit is the reason that I want it, right? I want to be prominent because I'm more deserving. I work really hard for this family, so I want you to assert, you know. I want others to yield to what I say because my thoughts, my desires, and my happiness are more important than yours or theirs. That's the, this idea of selfish ambition, vain conceit. I want others to yield to what I say. I want, I want my way because of my importance. And this is the spirit that causes dissension within the church, causes dissension within the family, causes dissension among siblings, children. It creates conflict and it can cause splits, it can cause breakups in relationships. But the answer is humility. Humility is, is just the opposite thing. Humility is something that it leads to harmony. Humility says, you know what? It doesn't, I don't have to have my way because I can see how others might benefit from doing it your way. Things don't always have to please me because I can see that they're meeting the needs of others. Think about worship music in the 90s, Right? I was the guy that had to bring change to our worship ministry at our church. Imagine how fun that was. It worked out actually really well. You know why it worked well? Because there was humility in the older generation in our church. The older generation were, was willing to submit, yeah, that might be, that sounds like a real strong word, was willing to accommodate this, this younger population, this new music that was coming into the church and, and drums. I'll never forget the day that we introduced drums into our church. Wow. Have I told you this story? We had this screen that went all the way down and we knew it was going to be a big deal and we knew we should do it, but we knew it was going to be a big deal. We had this old orange pearl drum set from the 60s that just was gaudy and ugly, but it's what we had. 
We stuck it back in the corner behind the screen. All of a sudden, one Sunday was a Sunday was time to, int to introduce drums. And you could hear them, but you couldn't see them, and you had no idea where they were coming from. And so you could watch as, you're, as a leader, you're going, wow, somebody's, they're seeing. And, um, and so we get done with the worship set, and all of a sudden it's time for, it's time for the pastor to preach. Who walks out from behind the drums but the pastor? <laughs> and so here he is. He's like a little wind-up monkey. He didn't know how to play the drums, but he did it anyways, and it was lovely. And I tell you what, no one could really argue. They liked the pastor, so they could. it was kind of a soft way. A year later, we didn't have a drummer that Sunday, so we just went without the drums. I tell you what, one of the most adamant people for the organ walked up to me and said, what in the world are we doing? Are we going backwards as a church? Where are those drums? I kid you not. Marion submitted herself to the Lord and she saw what happened. And we experienced an incredible growth in our church of young people. We had college students that were coming to our church, like 100 college students coming, lots of college students. And so... Because of the humility of the older generation, you could see that, and, and a willingness to see that, for, I'll do this for you. It's not my, I'd love to have Bill and Gloria Gaither up here leading worship every Sunday. And some of you would like that. Ken would love that. I know he would. Um, but holding loosely to our wants and desires is, is humility. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Apply that to your marriage, apply that to your kids, apply that to your, you as kids. Um, and then he says each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I think it's seeing things from another person's point of view. Now some of you might be thinking this, do I always have to give in? Why is it always me? Why do I always have to be the one that sacrifices? And, and then the question is, should I always give in? Should I always give up my will? And, and I don't think that Paul's saying that we just have to give in and do this all the time. He says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. There are times when the interests of others don't line up with what's biblical. There are times when that happens within the church, when things just aren't biblical. Paul's not saying that a believer should just neglect the welfare of himself or his family in order for someone else's good. There are times when we have to say, you know what, I, we're gonna have to part fellowship because this, what you're doing is, is not good, it's not biblical. But that's not Paul's concern here. His concern here isn't about doctrine it's not about ideas or practices that are unbiblical. These, this, is, this is about something else. Um, and so when it's about like interpretations, when it's about interests, preferences, things that largely are a matter of personal choice, those issues should never be allowed to, to build controversy within the body of Christ. To, to insist that, hey, it's going to be my way or the highway, would really be sinful, and it would divide believers. Um, and I think it's a mark of maturity and love that, that God honors 
uh, when we say, you know what, I'm going to give preference to you. I'm going to look out for your interests. And you know what? It's, it's funny that when we do that, we'll actually find that, <laughs> that we enjoy and, and have greater joy than what we had before anyways. So, kind of to close this thing out, maybe think about this equation, if you will, for unity. It's this idea that it, the blessing of spiritual resources of God that come from your connection with Jesus Christ, plus your, your response to the Spirit of God and your humility equals unity. Um, now, the question is, why, why is unity important? Why can't we just all not get along? And can't we all just have our own thoughts and opinions and ways of doing things? You know, the gospel is advanced when believe, brothers and sisters and believers dwell together in unity. One of the verses that we read this morning as we were praying was Psalm 133. It says this, How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It's like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It says the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. Listen, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forever. Turn to John 17 real quick, and I'll give you maybe the real reason of why it's important for us as a church and believers in Jesus Christ to dwell together in unity. This is kind of at the end of Jesus' ministry, John 17, and he's praying. And this is a very, he's praying these things that we've just been reading this morning. And here's what he says. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, right? One mind, one heart, one spirit, one purpose. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, if you have any fellowship of being united in Christ, may they also be in us so that, listen, this is the reason for unity in the fellowship, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Again, look at that. It's the gospel. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Unity. He says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you see that? Do you catch that, church? The world's watching. The world looks at believers. They're looking for us to live differently. You are being inspected by a lost world. They're looking to see if what you say matches up with what you do and how you act towards one another. Your life is like a billboard for Jesus Christ. You're on display when you go to your workplace, when you're out in the community together as a family, when you're to going out for supper as, as couples, the world is looking at the church. Oh, and by the way, your kids are watching you as parents. They're looking at you. You have the greatest influence on your kids. 
That's what you're going to hear next week as we look at the family at family camp. We're going to be talking about kids and how we influence our kids. You still have the greatest influence. Culture doesn't have it. You have it. As long as we take responsibility for it. And so, how will we live with one another? How will we live in harmony with one another? That's the way that the gospel gets promoted. You think about it. The purpose of, of marriage is to promote the gospel. The purpose of the church is to promote the gospel. The purpose in our parenting is to carry on the gospel, right? You guys know what the gospel is, right? Okay. I won't explain that today because it's going to be very clear next week because we have an example and it's in Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ. He gives us the beautiful, beautiful text next week. All right. Let's pray. Father, we're just thankful, God, for, for your word. What a powerful text, God, here. A powerful passage of scripture, God. And the Lord, we're thankful, God, that you've, you've written it to, to the Philippian church, God, but you also have written it to, it, it to us, God. It's timeless. Father, I pray that we would be uh, a people who live in humility with one another, God, as the scripture tells us to. God, would we give preference to one another, God, um, as we know, God, that it's, it's important. Um, Father, we're, I'm thankful, God, uh, to be a part of this church, Crossroads Community Church, God. Uh, I'm thankful, God, and I pray that you will continue, God, to give us a spirit of unity and a bond of peace in our fellowship. Father, I pray that you'll continue to give us a, a focus, God, um, outward focus on the community and on sharing the gospel of Jesus, Lord. Father, we love you, God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. All God's people said, amen. Would you stand and worship with us? And um, we're just going to do these last two songs back to back, so um, just because of time. And so ushers for the offering.